are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Well, amen. God bless you, everybody. I want you to take your Bibles and turn in the Old Testament to Psalm 139. Children are beginning to wait and make their way. Bethany, our new mama, is going to lead the charge today. Wow, that's great. Psalm 139, 139. And when you get there, say amen. (laughs) Wow. Psalm 139, we're going to need a little help there. And you know, I don't mind you using your phone as long as you're using it for that. And if you're turned in your phone to Psalm 139, then you can say amen. So all of you, if you're there at 139, say amen. Say it louder. Amen. 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 Psalm 139. I was going to read verses 13 and 14, but I want to just go ahead and read. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. What powerful words. We pray, dear Lord, that you give us wisdom and insight. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. (laughs) Title of the message today is How to Build Resilience. You know, I often talk to parents, but how to build resilience in your life and my life. We're going to talk about what that is. You know, we talked about a few, couple of it, two or three weeks ago on this subject of resilience. We said this, we're living in a world today that seems to be very fearful. Uh, We live in fear, Uh, whether it's COVID, whether it's disease, whether it's masks, whether it's vaccines, whether it's 
the, the, the unrest around our world. No matter what it is, we live in a great deal of fear. And, and fear, if we're not careful, you and, fear can grip you and I. And this is what we said, Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear. Let me say that again. If you have a spirit of fear, if you're living in fear and anxiety and you can't function, God didn't give you that. Your enemy, Satan, did. God wants you to walk by faith, not by sight and not by fear, okay? So you and I need resilience. We need to learn how to build that into our lives because we live in a very different time. You know, and, and, and we're battling like we never have before. You know, I was listening to Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson was talking about pornography. Now, let me say, every man, that's every man's battle. And let me tell you, my battle is this right here. My battle is technology. I have to, my battle is social media. Things that will come across my phone, across my computer, temptations that are coming every day in my life. But let me tell you what Jordan Peterson said. Jordan Peterson said, we are living in a day of artificial intelligence, AI. He said, this is going to redefine pornography. He said, now you and I will be able to develop a robotic individual, an AI figure that will meet every need that we have, that will provide us companionship, camaraderie, will meet our needs, will know insights, things about us, and will be able to respond to us in a way that nobody, no human being, we may think could possibly do so. He said, that's the world. He said, artificial intelligence will redefine the pornography industry. And I thought to myself, you and I are living in a day, and our children will be living in a day, of temptations that are beyond anything we've ever seen in the entire, since the creation of humanity at their fingertips. And so children are going to have to be resilient. Now, what is, it, what is resilience? We said this, resilience is the, listen, the ability to withstand adversity, to bounce back from difficult life events. Being resilient does not mean a person doesn't experience stress, emotional upheaval, and suffering. Resilience involves the ability, listen, to work through emotional pain and suffering. Now, I want everybody to listen. I want you to look this way. Say amen. amen. Sometimes we see suffering as, 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 as something that we have to endure. Maybe health, maybe finances, maybe relationships. But I want you to listen. Sin is suffering to the believer. Did, did you hear me? When I'm struggling with sin, when I give in to sin, when sin gets the better hand, when sin rips out of the power and the lordship of, of, of the Holy Spirit, sin is suffering to the child of God. It's not pleasure for very long. It comes with a heavy, heavy, heavy price tag, right? The conviction, the loneliness, the pain that it brings is a form of suffering. Sin is not fun to the believer for very long. It, it, is a, it, is a, it is horrible suffering. In fact, I would say this. I would say it's the greatest suffering that you and I will ever endure. Right? 
So we're living in a world today that we need resilience, this ability to be able to recognize and to, and to, to withstand adversity, to bounce back from difficult life events, to uh, rise above stress, emotional upheaval, and suffering and sin. And, and so uh, today we're specifically looking at this. Everybody do this. We're specifically looking at this. In other words, we're not just simply looking at your brain. We're looking at your body. We're looking at your soul, your psyche. We're looking at the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian and how all of this makes up your mind and how all of it works together and what happens when it doesn't. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He said, great men and women, listen to this, are they who see that the spiritual is stronger than the material. That the spiritual is stronger than any material force. And then listen to what he went on to say. Emerson said that thoughts rule the world. In other words, think about it. Everything from inventions to revolutions, everything begins with what? Everybody do this. With a thought, right? So this thing that sits on top of your head is, a, is an enormous potential for good or for evil. And your enemy knows it. Your enemy is trying to get in what? Trying to get into your head. That's what he wants to do. So what you and I think is critical to how we live our life. We live what we think. Is that not true? Now, listen, Dr. Karen, this may be extensive. Sheila said sometimes you're giving so much information, but I think you need to know the wonder of this up here. Let me, let me walk you through some things, okay? Listen closely. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, is a neurologist that has nearly 40 years of research in the area of brain health, how to keep this healthy. She has a book right now, it's a fascinating book, called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. In other words, helping your child and helping you learn how to organize this and put it in order and get rid of the rubbish, the garbage, and the mess that is in it. It's an unbelievable book. This woman, this neurologist, has biologically turned her biological clock back 13 years. She's 13 years younger, and she looks it. And she talks about this power, the brain, your mind. Now, one of the things that she says is this. Listen, this is important. She says there's strong evidence as to the neuroplasticity of the brain, of your mind. In other words, what it means here, neuroplasticity is the ability to shape and to form our brain and to form uh, our experiences into something positive rather than something negative. In other words, to organize the painful experiences of life into a manageable, more positive, emotional experience. What she's saying is that you and I will learn 
how to do this, how to take the experiences, the things that we're going through in life and using them in a positive way rather than a negative way and shaping this brain of ours, this mind of ours. It, neuroplasticity means that it's like Play-Doh. You can shape it and mold it and affect how it operates. Now that's powerful. She states, listen to this. I was showing Sheila some of this. It was fascinating. The research that is going on in the brain is unbelievable. The energy around a brain literally is a light show. It's like the northern lights when you see them. It is an unbelievable movement of electricity and lights. It's just fascinating to watch. But she went on to talk about this. She says, when you and I go through experiences, she says, the neurons are lining up and they're forming what looks like in the brain trees. She said, you go through an experience and it forms a tree and, and, and you can see the, the imagery, the picture of it. It looks like a tree. I thought about the Garden of Eden. And she said, a good, a good memory almost looks in your brain like a, like a beautiful tree that sits out in an open field. And she said, but a bad experience can leave what looks like a gnarled, grotesque, almost a creature-looking thing in your brain. It looks like a tree, but it needs to be, it needs to be dealt with. Now that's important. She went on to say this, she said, Memories look like trees in the brain. Good memories look like beautiful, well-formed trees. Bad memories look like gnarled, grotesque creatures. She said the mind essentially, our brain essentially, plants our experiences into, our mind plants our experiences into, a, into our brains like what she calls thought trees. She went on to say you have 86 billion neurons in your brain which are responsible for sending and receiving neurotransmitters, chemicals that carry information between brain cells. These brain cells are made up of, of axons and dendrites. Axons are those things in your brain that are sending these electrical signals through chemicals and through electricity. Dendrites are receiving them. In other words, if I understand correctly, if you take Zoloft, if you take Zoloft, what Zoloft does is Zoloft will break down the circuitry sometimes because you're over-firing, you're anxious, you're worried about something, and it's consuming you, so what you do is you interrupt the circuitry so you can't think that thought anymore. It begins to make you feel more positive, more sure. The problem with something like Zoloft is that that circuitry also controls nausea. If you're on 50 milligrams of Zoloft, then the reality is you're going to have slight nausea until your body adjusts to it. Your brain is a fascinating, unbelievable journey into the mind of the believer. Your senses right now are taking in every sound and registering it forever. As long as you live. The chemistry of the brain, she went on to say, the electrical circuitry is beyond anything man has ever created. In this mental artistic dance is a chemical known as serotonin. 
And serotonin is critical because serotonin is a chemical that acts as a transmitter that helps this process. It's what we call the feel-good drug. If you work out, if you run, if you get on the treadmill, your body secretes serotonin and you feel better when you get off and you feel better. If you're unhealthy, part of the problem is, is the serotonin. 10% of serotonin, which is critical to everything I've said so far, is created in the brain. 90% of the serotonin in your body that makes this operate comes right here. If you're not eating right, if you're abusing your body, if you're putting in garbage and fried foods and things, you're destroying this because of what you're putting in here. 90% of serotonin comes out of here 10% comes out of here. You are, as Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. According to the Cleveland Clinic, serotonin plays a key role in the body functions such as mood, sleep, digestion, nausea, wound healing, bone health, blood clotting, and sexual desire. Did you know today it's not just emasculating? We were talking today in the men's class. Do you know what the biggest problem is today? Testosterone levels in, in young men today. Young men are unable to impregnate a woman and get her pregnant and have children. Couples are now becoming where they're unable to have children in other cultures of the world. Why? Because of the abuse of the human body. Serotonin is not made by the body, but is obtained through the food you and I eat. And the reason some of us in this room are in bad moods, the reason we battle with anxiety, we battle with worry, we battle with panic, and the reason we have so many other problems is because of what we're putting in here. It's going in here, and it's affecting this. And parent, listen to me closely. If you're feeding your kids that garbage, you're setting them up for ruin down the road. Some of us feed on garbage. I, she, she made this statement. Dr. Carolyn Leaf in the lecture said this. She said, listen to this. The frame of reference now used in the medical community around the world is the acrostic MAD. In other words, every health institution around the world, medical communities, they use this term called MAD. Do you know what MAD is? Modern American diet. The modern American diet is affecting the world. Why? Because it decreases serotonin. It causes problems in the brain and you and I can't think correctly. Why do you think the Bible in the Old Testament, God spent so much time telling his covenant people what to eat and what not to eat? You know why? Because God said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me tell you what you need to eat and what you don't need to eat. And I don't know about you, but when I do the one-year Bible and I get into all that, I want to scream until I begin to realize that as I look through that, I think about Reuben, uh, Dr. Reuben, uh, the one who wrote The Maker's Diet, who talks about following a biblical diet. Some of us see the Daniel diet, some of these things, but all of that is because this is so critical and so important. Your brain, and more so your mind, is an unbelievable creation of God. Look again at Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. Watch this. He says here, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. You know that 
Do you know that Charles Darwin, one of the problems that he had with his own theory of evolution, everybody look, was that right there? You know what Darwin said? That the development of the human eye in a fetus, in an unborn baby, is a million miracles happening at once. Your eye. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? One writer said this. It means that you and I, as our crea creations of God, are made unique, listen to this, and set apart from all the rest of creation. We are the pinnacle of God's creative work, and because of this, God has great interest in us and in our well-being. In other words, your brain is the control tower of everything else in your life. And your mind is the sum total of your brain, your body, your soul, which is your personality, the seat of your emotions, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Your mind is taking all of that in. Your brain, right now again, is taking in all kinds of information, and it's taking that in building these trees. Imagine these memories, good and bad experiences. So imagine if you're watching TV and you're putting your brain on constantly registering all this material that's being stored away. That's why we have to be careful what we're putting into our minds. Listen to Proverbs 23.7. Listen to it in the Amplified Bible. Proverbs 23.7, and I like this translation. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he, in the Amplified Bible, in behavior. So if we are what we think, then we need to guard what we think. Now let's do a little Bible journal here, uh, journaling. I want you to go over to Proverbs from Psalms. Go over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 23. Okay, so if, if, as, if, now listen. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, which means his mind, the seat of his emotions. As a man thinks, so is he. So you and I have to guard what we think. Now look what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says this, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it springs, uh, from, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, what the Bible says here is that you and I have the responsibility. We're watching. Let me tell you something. There are some things that come up on Facebook, social media, I don't even bother to look at. I know where it's going. The reality is you and I are responsible for everything that is coming into our brain, and the Bible says we're to guard it. Listen, take a right turn over to Philippians. Because how do you do that? And parent, this is not a matter of you just guarding your mind. You're doing what? You're guarding the mind of your children. You're saying to your children, no, we're not going to watch that program. No, we're not going to listen to that music. No, we're not going to listen to that particular speaker or that individual because what they say will go into your head. It'll be registered there, and I'll be dealing with it for a long time. You'll be dealing with it for a long time. So we're going to watch what goes in here. We're going to watch what goes in here. But watch this. Look at uh, Philippians 4. Now, what did the Bible say? Proverbs 4, 23, watch over your heart. Now, the word there is guard. Guard your hearts with all diligence, for from it springs the well of life, uh, the springs of life. Now, look what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by what? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now watch verse 7, and the what? Philippians 4, 7, what does it say? And the, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if Proverbs, if Solomon says, listen, the spring of life, everything comes out of, listen, it, it comes out of here, it comes out of your brain, out of your mind, out of your soul, then you need to guard what's going in here. Guard your minds. Well, how do I do that? God says through his word, he said, listen, in everything, don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't live in fear. In everything, listen, God says, pray, petition with thanksgiving, and God, watch this, will guard what? He'll guard your heart, he'll guard your mind. Right? Now, parent, you have a responsibility to guard the mind of your children. Did you know that? You know, I was counseling with a pastor this week. We were sitting somewhere just having a cup of coffee, talking. He was dealing with a particular problem in the church. And as we were talking, we got to talking about it. He was talking about how quickly his grandchildren are growing up. And he literally was talking about the maturation process. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's not, and you've heard me say this before, but it, 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 I mean, he just became unglued. I said, girls are, 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 girls are now considered teenagers at, nine years, at eight years old and boys at nine. Girls are having menstrual cycles at nine and ten years of age. Boys, they're, they're, girls and boys are showing maturation process that looks like a little girl, maybe nine or ten years old, she looks like she's 14 and 15 from a few years ago. Well, what happened? Some of us would say, well, we, we started maturing a chicken in less than a month. We started giving uh, additives to, to cattle and beef and hogs, and, and that's the reason children... You know what John Hopkins said? John Hopkins said, no, you're wrong. You know what they're finding out? Listen, everybody listen. We're pouring so much adult material into children's minds, into their brains that their brain is firing up and saying, we better hurry up and mature and get to adulthood because we have to process all of this material and live it out. Parent, you don't think you have a responsibility and all of us to protect this by what we allow to go in it? We're just living in that kind of time. If, if my mind and the mind of my child is so powerful, then what, what do I do? Look, look at, uh, take, go back from Proverbs, go to 2 Corinthians 10.5. So what am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? In 2 Corinthians 10.5, watch what Paul says here. Because now we said this, we said we're to, guard, we're to guard our heart, guard our mind, we're to guard what goes in here, because out of here is the springs of life. Life. So that's what we're to do. Now how are we going to do that? Philippians 4, we're going to, what are we going to do? We're going to pray, we're going to petition, we're going to seek the wisdom and the counsel of God, and because of that, God's going to guard our minds and our hearts as I'm in communion with God. Well, but what about the day-to-day? 
How do, how do I handle what's coming in here? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? Against the knowledge of God. Now, you've got an enemy, and what the enemy, the enemy doesn't mind any kind of garbage going in here. Let me tell you what the enemy doesn't want. The enemy doesn't want you to know God. Did you hear that? Because the knowledge of God up here makes you an unbelievable force for good. So the enemy doesn't want that. So watch what Paul says. And this is, a, this is Corinth. This is a carnal, fleshly, ungodly group of people. Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now watch it. Do you see it? And we do what? We take captive every what? Every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. So what we're doing is, we're, hey, listen, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, everything that's coming in here, we're filtering it before it ever comes in. We're taking every thought captive. You're not letting your brain or your thought just run away with you and fill you with anxiety or depression or panic or fear. You're taking everything captive, every thought captive. Why? Because, the, listen, everybody listen, because we've already heard this from a neurologist. Hey, listen, those thoughts are like trees that are growing in your brain. And listen, if it's a bad thought, bad experience, my friend, and you put it up here, it's going to take a long time to get it right. And you know what she says? You know what a neurologist says? You never cut the tree down and get it out of your brain. It's always there. Now you've got to figure out what to do with it. You see... So um, you're going to take every thought captive, and you're taking it captive in order to make it obedient to Christ. Look again. Take a right from 2 Corinthians and look again at, at Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, watch this. Paul said it. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, your, ad, your attitude... Now, what does that mean? He says, your mind... Your mind should be the same as what? As that of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the King James, I think it words it this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what am I doing? I am seeking the mind of Christ, meaning I'm asking myself all the time, is this what Jesus would have me to do? First of all, that's not the right question. Is this what Jesus would have me to think? Because listen, what I think is going to be how I behave. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So guess what? God, I've got to begin to guard my heart. How am I going to do that? I'm going to be in prayer. Andy Stanley said this. He said, it was never uncommon, never unusual to walk past Charles Stanley, my dad, and to see my dad on his knees with his face in the bed or his face in a chair and him praying out loud. How am I going to do that? How am I going to recognize 
and begin to live this kind of life, I need the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. How am I going to get the mind of Christ? I've got to begin to take every thought captive and say, is this of God? Is this beneficial? Will this make me a better person? Is this a good experience? Is this something that I want to put in my head? Right? Now let me give you a quick example because... You know, we, we look at the mind, we look at how the brain works, but let me give you an example because the second point is this, how do I live this out? And more so, how do I help my child to build resilience and good mental coping skills? Did you, did you hear that? We're teaching children, if you're a parent, you're raising your children to be on high alert as to what's going in here. You're teaching them how to clean this up, keep it organized so that it operates correctly. That's what you're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. And my friend, you're going to to, you're gonna have to make it an intentional 24-7 of protecting what is coming into your brain, into your mind. There are some things you don't need to watch on your TV, on your phone, on social media. There's some things you don't need to listen to. You're going to have to be on high alert and especially as a parent. But let's look at something practical. We're, going, we're, we're close in a moment. Take a left from Philippians and look at John chapter 6. It, and you may say, well, you know, what does this have to do with building resilience in my children? Well, first of all, what I want you to understand is I'm trying to help you understand that your child's brain is neuroplastic. It has neuroplasticity. In other words, your child's brain is being molded and shaped by what you as a parent are allowing to go into their head. Hey, listen, cut the TV off and read to them. That'll be a new experience for them. Because you're wanting to shape their, their mind, how they think. You're wanting to teach them how to discipline what's coming into their mind. And you're wanting to teach them how to handle experiences that may be less than desirable. You're beginning to tell them that you're going to help them even in a bad experience, make it a good tree up here. Hey, that didn't come into your life that it didn't first come through the hand of God. Did you know that all things work together? All things, let's say that together. All things work together for good. You mean all things? All things. What's all things? All things is all things. So you're teaching your child that God is conforming you into the image of Christ and everything that's come into your life has come through his hands and all things are being, are, are, are being used to conform you, shape you, neuroplastic. God is trying to shape your mind, your brain, conforming it into the mind of Christ so that then you know how to behave. And your enemy's doing everything to get up here. Right? Well, let's look at something practical. How do I teach this to children? John 6, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now look at that. Look at that next point right there in verse, verse 6. You see it? He asked this only to do what? Only to test him. 
for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So let's stop right there. Now Philip says, Philip goes on and answers him. He says eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. So now everybody look this way. Jesus is discipling these apostles, these men, right? So what he's doing, he's trying to build, he's trying to build resilience in them to be able to handle situations that they're going to face once he's been resurrected, once he's ascended. You remember, they didn't want to leave. We're just going to stay here and nobody comes back down. And the angel said, oh men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing? Go do what he told you to do. He's going to, listen, he's going to give you, he said to the disciples, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, and you're going to know, listen, how to live and how to think and how to, li how to live out your life. Now watch this. Jesus is building resilience. He's building strength. He's building courage. He's building boldness. But mom, dad, how is he doing it? Listen, there's only two stories in the life of Christ that are told in all four Gospels. The res his resurrection and the story of the feeding of 5,000 are the only two that are in all four Gospels. You don't think this is important? Jesus is trying to mature, disciple, grow them up so when they're one day alone, and yes, he said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Yes, he's here, but I'm talking about physically being there. Parent, that's what you're doing. You're maturing them. You're parenting them. You're growing them. That's what God is doing in all of life so that we can face those bad experiences and those problems that may come in our life. Jesus says, Peter, we've got about 20,000 people. How are we going to feed? I mean, uh, Philip. Philip, we've got 20,000 people possibly in this crowd. How are we going to feed them? And the Bible says, what was he doing? He was testing. Jesus was presenting Philip with a problem. Now, I thought this when I looked here. I thought Jesus could have, he could, you know what he could have done? He could have said, guys, clear back. Give me room. Give me room. And he could have brought a Piccadilly. He could have brought a Piccadilly's and landed it there. He could have set up about a dozen Cracker Barrels if he had wanted to. He could have popped up bakeries everywhere. He could have just done all of that. He could have simply looked at them and said, clear back, get out of the way. But watch what he does here. And parent, listen. There's a principle here. Parent, if you do that, if you bail your children out of every problem they face in life, if you hate to see them in an uncomfortable place and you try to rescue them over and over and over again, you cripple them in life and they never grow, never mature, never learn. You're teaching them how to face their problems with a resilience, with a courage, with a boldness, with the ability to bounce back even when things go contrary to everything they, you have taught them. You're teaching them how to survive. And not just how to survive, you're teaching them how to thrive, how to solve problems. You're not belling them out. You're not figuring, you, you, yes, you hate to see them uncomfortable. Yes, you hate to see them hurting. Yes, you hate to see them in a position that they're in. But you have to begin to teach them how to grow, mature, and handle those problems that are coming in their life, or they'll, they'll never be an adult. And today we have a generation, they're not growing up, they're not launching, they're coming back home. 
because they can't make it. Philip, with a calculator, punches a few numbers, looks at Jesus and says in verse 7, I've got some bad news. Eight months of wages would not buy enough food for this crowd to even have a bite. But listen, parent, again, Jesus presents him with a problem that is outside his comfort, outside of his ability to meet it. Why? Because Jesus wants him to mature and to grow. That's hard to do, isn't it, Alan and Celia? When your kids are going off to school in their teenage years, they're not sophomores, juniors, and seniors. They're going to an academic institution known around this country and around the world to learn math and science. And I remember being there when, when Shelby graduated. It's not easy when they're 18 years old and watching them go to Mercer, watching them go to Duke, but you're hoping that you train and equip and you mature them so that they, they go on to be whatever God would have them to be. That's You're not overprotected. You, hey, listen, get used to them being uncomfortable. Sheila left Amy. When we were in Zimbabwe, we, we took Amy to a British Afrikaner school. She was an American, and they don't like Americans. Sheila carried her the first day, went up, walked her up. And, you know, Amy's crying, Sheila's crying. He's trying to get through this first day in Zimbabwe, Africa, the other side of the world. And when Sheila got home to me, she walked in. She was crying. She said, I'll never do that again. You'll do it tomorrow. I said, what happened? She said, I was driving away from the school and Amy was chasing the car, crying and screaming. And she's crying right now to this day. Amy went on to excel in that school. And today she's practicing pediatric dentistry. And she's traveled and adopted two children in China, one child in Africa, and she's traveled the world for Christ. Why? Because mom said it's uncomfortable, it hurts, it's painful, but I've got to keep driving because God has a will and a purpose and a plan for Jeff and I to reach the people of Zimbabwe and we can't do it if we're staying at home taking care of Amy. And Amy became a great leader. You see, sometimes you and I have to allow children to grow, grow, and when we push them outside of their comfort zone, outside of their resources, when it's beyond a little bit, beyond their uh, ability, their maturity, it's in order to take them to the next level. You don't know. You don't know what your children will be, your grandchildren will be, and God knows don't overprotect them and keep them from being everything that God would have in his purpose and his plan. Is it easy? No, it's not. Alicia, Alicia has laughed and laughed. Now, she wasn't laughing last Sunday. Ethan is 13. Now, we may not believe it, but Ethan's 13. Last week, I stood up here and I talked about Ethan, you know, grandson. I want him to be a great man of God. He may be an NFL analyst. And one day, he may be in London. He may be somewhere over there, an NFL analyst. Or, and then I said, and if things go belly up and another nation takes us over like China, then I expect him to be a godly Christian influence in Hong Kong. And boy, I was waxing eloquently. Then I rode home with Legend, Alicia, and Ethan. 
And I could see Alicia was a little upset. And, and so we're riding along there, and, and um, I said, what's wrong? She said, well, Ethan's going over in another state, going to a concert with, with, some, with some people. What? Now, this, this is me. Immediately, you know what I Who's driving? Well, how many people are going? Well, who's driving the vehicle that he's going to be in? Now listen, when the vehicle pulled up, you know what I was doing? I was trying to figure out whether it's roadworthy. I was looking at the tires. I was going, and Alicia, and at one point, Legina and, and Ethan get out of the gas station to go get me a Coke, and they're doing something else. And when they're getting out, Alicia's back there in the back seat. And I said, Alicia, there's going to be a lot of moments in Ethan's life when you're going to be doing this. He's going to be growing up, maturing, taking these trips, going these new directions, and all you can do is pray and say, Son, if you believe this is God's will that you go, then, I, then my prayers go with you. But in my heart, you know what I did at 11 o'clock? I had figured it out. I even had a friend in, in, in the city that he was going to be in if there was a problem. Because, see, that's the way we are. We're protected by nature. Is it, is it easy to give that up? No, it's not. But the reality is, and I love this, because Jesus is growing Philip. He's building tenacity. He's building resilience in his disciples. And what he does is he says, guys, go out there, survey the situation. Andrew comes back, comes back with a little boy's happy meal, little boy's lunch. And he says, look, I got, a, I got a couple of fish. I got some loaves of bread, some fish. But what is that among so many? Jesus said, hey, now we're getting somewhere. Give it to me. And you know what he's doing? He's saying, listen, you can't figure this out on your own. You need me. You know what, parent, you're teaching your child? A biblical worldview. And you know what else you're teaching them? Hey, don't go it alone. You're going to need Jesus. Well, I don't have much. That's right. I'm not much. That's right. This is a big 20,000, 25,000 university. I, I'm just a nobody and nothing. That's right. But you're like a happy meal in the hands of Jesus with 20,000 people to fill. And buddy, they had a smorgasbord. I think the smell of fresh baked goods, I think it, sound, I think it smelled like pins, mobile unit, full of catfish, fresh fried fish. I believe it was unbelievable as it went across those thousands of people and God met a need. Why? Because one little boy. And you know what the disciples did? Jesus said, now go up and gather up the fragments. Twelve baskets, twelve baskets of leftovers. Can you imagine that little boy when he got home? Hey, Mom, you remember that little lunch you gave me? And he's got all the disciples bringing the baskets by his house, possibly. Now let me close. Let me give a couple more things and then I'll close. I wrote this down, a life lesson. Bring your little place it at his feet and watch Jesus do great things. That's how you build resilience in your children. You, you, you push them in some situations. You get them out there where they're uncomfortable, where things are difficult. You don't jump in and rescue them. You can monitor you're watching, while at the same time you're helping them to mature, to grow, to face life problems and figure out how to navigate that problem and how to come out on top. 
And all the while you're teaching them that you're going to need Jesus to do that. And don't think you're too little. You know what I say about this church? I truly say this. It not only have some of the most gifted people I've ever met in my life, you have some of the most unique children I've ever met in my life. But we, we've got to get this straight. You know, um, I had a life-changing thing happen this week. Um, Jeffrey, you can come on out. Go ahead and stand so that you'll believe you're getting ready to leave. <laughs> He's not going to let us go. Yes, I am. But I want you to listen real closely. I had a life-changing experience this week. Now, you don't know it, but I can't hear. I've had difficulty hearing. Now, I didn't know how bad my hearing was. So I get, got sent from one specialist. I went to the UMC and... And he walked us through the mechanics. He was from an Eastern Bloc country. He walked us through how the ears work. My friend, if you don't believe in God before the lecture, you definitely do afterwards because it's an unbelievable miracle uh, that you're able to hear. Then I went to this specialist, went to that specialist. Then I went to the vocational rehab where they said, hey, because you're still working and you need your ears, you need your hearing, uh, we're going to help you out. We're going to give you hearing aids. Okay? Now, I, I asked, well, what happened to my hearing? Now, everybody listen. I didn't protect my hearing. I never wore anything to protect my hearing. I was in the military. I've been on firing ranges. I, I hunted when I was younger. Uh, grass, weed eaters, all those things that we do, you know, all the things that noise. I never wore any kind of protection. I did not protect my ears. So listen, they don't function correctly. If you don't protect your brain and the brain of the people that God's put into your care, my friend, it won't work properly. It'll get stopped up. I can't hear. So uh, through government, through vocational rehab, I got hearing aids. Now, I had this idea, uh, those that are my age, back when kids wore hearing aids, they wore a big plug in their ear and had wires come down, a big box that hung down there. You know, and I thought, uh-oh. Man, I can just see me walking around with this big box hanging down in this wire. They'll, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really sweating this out. And the other thing is, it affects you as a man. Because I already got a bad shoulder, and I'm thinking, man, you know, it just affects you as a man. It, and it also says this, you're getting old. And I don't want to get old. So I went to the ear, ear nose, and throat doctor and uh, several thousand dollars that I didn't have to pay. And the audiologist had walked us through everything. And then she said, let's put them in. So she went in and they hang back behind my ears. She said, because of my glasses, said, you won't be able to see. There's clear wires that go down and they go down in my ear canals. And Sheila said, when she went to the computer and she programmed them and they cut on, they're Bluetooth. I can listen to YouTube. I can listen to Pandora. I can listen to music. I blew one lady. I was in Lowe's just talking on the phone, and she didn't see nothing, not anything, and she's thinking, this guy's a nut. 
But Sheila said when she programmed and they cut on, she said, you look like a little boy. You went, wow. I could hear water running. I could hear my feet on leaves. I could hear you talking and not having to ask you to repeat. I could hear the sound of wind. I could hear little sounds that I had not heard in years and years and years. And all of a sudden my world opened back up again and it, and it came alive. And I began to say, thank you, Jesus. When you and I say, Lord, help me to protect this. When you and I begin to guard this because out of it the springs of life, everything comes from here. When we begin to watch what goes into our minds, when we begin to take thoughts captive, when they seem to make us anxious and worried, and we, we find ourselves on, the, on, on Satan's little hamster wheel where you're worried and you're worried and you're worried and you're worried and you're just, you're just, you're just wearing yourself out. We stop, we stop the wheel, we take that captive. And we say, God, you have a purpose and a plan in this and I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to keep praying that over and over because when I do that, God starts putting up a guard around this. He starts guarding the mind. And that's what you're teaching your children. And then when they face a, an experience that is beyond them, you don't go in, you don't overprotect, you don't rescue, you don't bail them out, you watch them. You're, in, you're, back, you're back here. You're watching them navigate this problem. And every once in a while, you'll see a little child or a teenager, they'll look and smile and say, I did it. And you'll look as a parent, you'll go, you did, you did it. Proud of you. And they've matured and they growed because how do we know that one of your children are not one day the most powerful political leader in this country? How do we know they're not a leader around the world? How do we know they don't work for the U.S. Embassy in a critical situation in the world? How do we know they don't invent something because their minds are working and you've pushed them toward maturity and growth and they're becoming everything that God would have them to be? Philip, we've got a problem. Now what are we going to do? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, sometimes, dear Lord, spiritually in our minds and our hearts, sometimes, dear Lord, we quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We can't, as David said in Psalm 51, David cried out and said, God, let me hear again. I can't hear. Sometimes, dear Lord, our minds and our brains don't work right because we're not feeding them the right materials. We're not taking care of our health. We're destroying our health, thereby destroying our minds. So, Lord, make us, make us mindful of that. Lord, we pray that as we parent, as we raise, that, Lord, you teach us to know when and how to develop and push and prod and grow children to adulthood, teaching them how to solve the problems of life as they come. I couldn't help but think of Apollo 13, when those words came, Houston, we have a problem. There wasn't no way they could solve that problem without everyone putting their head into the problem, trying to figure it out. 
Lord, we pray that for men and women in this room, boys and girls, people who may listen later, we pray, dear God, that you would help us to develop and shape these minds into the mind of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray if there's someone that doesn't know you, uh, they've never given their life to you, they've never repented of their sin and put their faith and their trust in you, that, Lord, even now they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, come into my life. Take control of my thoughts. Take control of my behavior. God, uh, make me everything that you would have me to be. And, Lord, we'll give you the praise, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. You come. You need to spend a moment at this altar. You come. You need prayer. You come. I'll pray with you. Sheila's here. You can come right now. May never be a moment like this moment.